You're listening to the Global Ooj Podcast, where every week we learn about the world through the eyes of entrepreneurship. With your host, Ujwal Velagapudi. Health and what I consume is a very large component of my life, and I would think many of you as well. The options available differ wildly between regions and countries. Changing cultural habits, especially, and mindsets that have been embedded for generations can be extremely difficult, but Lorraine Mayer and her team are on a mission to offer Mexico the best products to health-conscious consumers at honest prices with their company, Yema. With a team of industry experts, they have dozens of their own in-house products in their supermarket spanning from food, personal care, and home goods. Lorraine is the co-founder and chief merchandising officer who is an ex-McKinsey and Wharton MBA alum. She had also co-founded a successful sleep technology company called Luna, which her husband continues to operate as a CEO today. If you're ever in Mexico City, you can check them out at one of Yema's stores located in La Roma. Thank you for having me. Super happy to to talk to a, a broader audience. Oh yeah, definitely. No, I appreciate your time with us and sharing a little bit more about the Mexican ecosystem as well as the brands that you've worked on. Could you go over a little bit about what Yema is, what you guys stand for, uh, and introduce product? Sure, uh, happy to do so. So at Yema, we are building uh, the better for you Trader Joe's. Uh, we're super impressed by this type of model in the U.S. and we we see that in Mexico there is none. Uh, of course, you always have better for you products available, but at higher prices or more targeted to a certain niche. And so, what we are looking to do is. Uh, broaden that that set of Mexican that can have access to better for you products, uh, not only in price but in conversation. You know, make make them appealing, uh, fun, um, and so we're doing that by a direct to consumer model. So we have our own online store of, and also physical store, um, but we also are are starting to to push. Uh, uh, the wholesale distribution uh, with some of our brand, and so super happy also that it's it's going to be soon with a with more Mexican. That's great. That's great. And when you said the physical store, I know we were chatting a little bit before about your store that's currently in La Roma. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I was I was mentioning before that I'm planning on visiting Mexico City for a few months, and being someone that puts health as as number one diet, what I consume, what I put in my body, everything. So when I'm going to a new city, a new country, I had to do quite a bit of research of, on exactly what I'll be eating, where I'll be staying, and and whatnot. So I was trying to map out exactly where I can place my Airbnb in relation <laughs> to the various grocery stores that were available and the various stores that I could actually have access to. And I didn't know it at the time, but a few weeks ago when I was doing the research, came across the store and then now <laughs> I've been able to put two and two together. Yeah. And, it, uh-huh. and, and it's, sorry to go It's very important that the, the fact that you mentioned health, it's it, at the end in Mexico, even more, I mean, it's not just, you know, better for you or like, Hopefully people feel better also, you know, by eating better and stuff like this. But it's that there's a real uh, problem with cr- uh, chronic disease in Mexico. I mean, it's the second uh, country with, you know, adult obesity. First one with child obesity, a lot of diabetes, uh, cardiovascular uh, heart disease. So 
this is why uh, maybe I didn't mention it before, but that that kind of triggered why with my my partners, my other co-founders, we wanted to do something different, and and we looked at Trader Joe's, and so that that was a really like. Uh, a good opportunity to start something more affordable uh, by manufacturing our own products and selling them directly to people, and of course, bringing some other brands along the way. Uh, but 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 at the core of what we do, it's really that hopefully we can put our you know uh, a little bit of contribution to 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 a bigger problem uh, that exists in Mexico, and um, but do it in a in a fun way. You know, we don't want to build a brand that's you know, uh, oh you shouldn't do that, you shouldn't do that. Like it's more like, hey, let's make the um, the healthy and the food uh, sexy and fun and tasty, and and this is what what this is the opportunity that we were seeing uh, in in Mexico, and hopefully when you go to La Roma and to the store, you get the chance to 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 try the product, and then you can <laughs> tell me whether we we made it or not. <laughs> That's amazing. I mean, so my background, I actually worked in the automotive space and have visited Mexico. I would say a couple dozen times from Guadalajara, Monterrey, all the way down to Puebla and everywhere in between. So I would, you know, I, I would be on the production force looking at our greater team in Mexico. I'd be working alongside my peers and obviously socially just going out to a restaurant or bar afterwards. And there's so many different snacks. And this is, I can relate this to being Indian and having traveled to India to visit my family there as well. There's so much junk food available and it's great. <laughs> you know, I love the chips. I love the various snacks that are available. There used to be a vendor that used to come every single day at two o'clock to our production floor, like a little mini food truck, and <laughs> everybody would run out to grab these snacks. And so it, it just reminded me of that when you mentioned how to make it sexy, how to make it more attractive mm-hmm. because of the health related issues. And so when you have that sort of culture where, you know, you're it's cheap to be able to grab snack off the street, it's more accessible, it's tasty, it's great. How are you guys able to, you know, gravitate people in terms of their mindset to make it more fun the way you're saying and make it just as tasty or just as attractive mentally when a consumer, you know, is comparing apples to apples? Yeah, sure. And of course, it's hard to change, you know, uh consumer habits and uh, so it, it, it's not something that I, I say lightly um, but what, what first just from a, so of course we look at the first uh, criteria to select a product and to to go for production is uh, it's the taste uh, it's not because you know it's um, it's healthier it doesn't have any you know artificial uh, preservative etc that it sh- or you know no sugar added etc that it should lose its taste so we, we this is where you know the innovation and, and the product development is super important and we have a team of you know uh, uh, food experts uh, with multiple backgrounds that kind of uh, work on those recipes to to make them work uh, and then so this is more like okay but that's when the the person has already decided to buy it and is, and is trying it, and hopefully it impacts repurchase. But also something that's super important is it's what the I see, uh, a and this is why we we built a brand that uh, that we find super attractive. Uh, that's super clear also on the label, really colorful, um, and so the idea is also to to call your attention and and and, and to, to be as attractive, hopefully, as you know, like a regular option. Um, and, and to stand out like this. So it's both it's the product and how it looks. I think both are important right. to, to change the conversation. And then we have, you know, of course, our, 
our channel of communication, um, our website, our social media, etc. Uh, also, we have you know customer service that's super strong, and people usually you know uh, talk about it in, in, when they give a review. Where we would also help you understand. No, it's also how we we, we make it easier to understand um, the labels and everything. And in Mexico right now, there's a a new label law that that's coming to action in October. That's gonna put you know like a dark let's say shapes uh, for when you're in excess of you know calories sugar etc but it's there's very little uh, explanation around it so it's just like okay it's supposed to scare you but do you really understand what it means so our role is also to to inform better as uh, so that people can make you know more inf- yeah better informed decision when it comes to to eat that's a bit like the the less immediate uh uh, role that we play and you know like the, the product is it's more like okay I have to uh, convince you when you see it on the shelf uh, more like how it looks but then there's this whole conversation that we are building around what what's healthy and, and help you understand that that's more like yeah, a, a long-term also goal to to help people eat better something that you guys are leading the charge on and you're still at the very early stages of the shift when it comes to the education on reading the labels, um, understanding exactly what they mean. And is that something that you guys as a company can do alongside with your peers? If there's a peer network of, um, you know, healthy snacks, healthy food items, grocery stores that are leading this charge that can help address that with the government? Or do you think that is truly needing to come from the government in those various agencies to help bring about this change and educate uh, the general consumer on it. So um, I think that, well, compared to the U.S. Uh, or maybe other countries, um, the shift to to a more healthy products is is definitely happening now in Mexico, but it, it's it's coming later than maybe what occurred in. In, in the US and so the, the magnitude of uh, how people are informed and looking for more health, healthier products and, and etc is, is, is much less than what you would find in the US but it's definitely happening. Uh, I think the, the government is coming in and trying to find uh, some, some solutions because maybe larger companies were not implementing fast enough maybe the, these changes uh, and of course there's a lot of lobby from you know big CPG to kind of uh, make that new labor law not happen too fast. Um, but what we do, you know, as a, as a startup, when you were talking about leading the charge, uh, especially, for instance, taking that example, we're, we're developing a lot of material for consumers to understand. We're helping uh, other, you know, um, suppliers in the ecosystem just because it's not just about the consumer to understand the new label. It's just starting from the supplier has, that has to change the whole you know, label and it's not always very clear. So we are sharing a lot of our knowledge with the ecosystem, both consumers and suppliers. Um, so hopefully this change uh, has a better impact. And I know you mentioned a couple of times Trader Joe's as well. So is that, I don't believe there are any Trader Joe's in Mexico or does that come back to, you know, did you spend some time in the U.S. or uh any uh-huh. Yes, I well, I have some family in, in Pittsburgh, but also I, I, I did an MBA. I had the chance to do an MBA in, in Philadelphia and at Houghton, okay. and so 
that was Trader Joe's there. So this is where I used to go. And, and, and my other co-founders also know very well that store. And, and why I mention it is because it's more or less 80% uh, private labor, Trader Joe's. And it's more, so it, it has this aspect of, okay, I'm, I'm buying smart. You know, it's not that expensive maybe compared to other stores like Whole Foods for uh, uh, clean label uh, products. But at the same time, there is this, uh, uh, at least what I, what I felt and what I, I shared, I, I felt like other people uh, had felt too, is that there's also this, this feeling of, you know, product discovery that's fun, that's, oh yeah, I'm going to buy this new product from Trader Joe that's super good. So it's not just about, you know, a, a good uh, relationship, price and quality, but it's also that idea of enjoyment that we want to replicate uh, at TM in our stores and with our products. And so what you said, you've only spent some time in the U.S. at Wharton. So prior to that, so looking at your name, I know I, I took a few years of French and looking at Lixant Grave, do you have a French background? And prior to the U.S., prior to uh, going to Wharton, uh, where where was your upbringing at? So yeah, I, I was raised in France. Um, my dad was in the military, so we we, we changed uh, quite a few times of town. But then I, I went to study uh, for you know a college in Montreal, in Canada, uh, and then I, I worked briefly in France, and then I went uh, almost uh, right after uh, college to Latin America. Uh, I started more as a consultant in McKinsey in Chile. Uh, and then I moved around uh, a bit in Colombia. And then in 2015, I landed in Mexico because uh, with, uh, with my husband, we wanted to, to start a company and it made more sense that it would be in Mexico. And literally, we arrived at Mexico in 2015 with you know two suitcases, our savings, and an Airbnb, a bit like maybe what you're experiencing in a few weeks. And, uh, and we knew nobody, no, and at the end, like, uh, and, and we just had this big dream. This, this was a prior company we started. It's called uh, Luna, which is a, a direct-to-consumer mattress company, similar let's say, to the Casper uh, uh, direct-to-consumer model. And we wanted to, we, we saw a big opportunity. There were manufacturers in Mexico uh, and a very bad uh, consumer experience. So we, this is how my entrepreneurship journey started. Uh, and, and I think it's a good example that you don't necessarily, you know, need the network, uh, you know, right from the beginning or, you know, it was a new country. Uh, and for me, it's always, you know, like, a, of course, it's also, even if I, I've been living in that time for, you know, 10 years, it's still like a different culture. And now I'm sits looking at food products and it's, uh, I haven't been raised, you know, eating Mexican food. Um, but it's still possible. I think it's, uh, we, 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 with two other, we were four co-founders for Luna. Uh, now it's a super uh, successful uh, startup uh, with many stores and also in wholesale, very good products. Um, and and for, for I, I decided to start EMA also to separate things from my husband and to start a bit of a different journey. And also because I've always been passionate about the food and, and, and looking at uh, the health issues that were happening in, in, in the country I, and, and loving Trader Joe's and seeing this new opportunity, I, I started Yema. But uh, yeah, it, it, it started all in Mexico when at the end we knew nobody and we didn't know the country. It just made sense from a you know business point of view. And, and so your husband is still operating Luna? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Okay. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah. wow. yeah. And it, it's interesting because then you... 
you're part of an ecosystem and there's a lot of learnings uh, that I took from Luna uh, to Yema, of course, two, two different industries. You know, one is mattresses and the other is more like CPG. Uh, but in the direct-to-consumer model, uh, omni-channel, you know, online to offline, offline to online, how you bring wholesaling, etc. And also just more like uh, practical things that, okay, I need a lawyer to, you know, just incorporate my company. I need, uh, okay, which uh, which bank? I'm going to open a bank account. Like, really like things that are very basic when you start a company. Having like to have that background with that first company really help, you know, accelerate a bit that curve and of course then there's like many new challenges ahead of us uh, that don't relate to Luna but it's it, it has been a, a very helpful uh, to have that uh, as a background. And so you said you came across the issue uh, when you guys moved to Mexico in 2015 with your husband in terms of um, trying to source a mattress or trying to buy one. How did, so you've got that idea, You it was, how did you take that from inception to actually testing it when you didn't know anybody there, you didn't have the resources available. So how does that look like? And then how did that change just a few years later, three years later when you were starting Yema uh, in terms of who you could go to, how you could do the market research and actually test out your idea in this now, you know, place that you've been for three years at that point? Yeah. So um, what, like, I mean, you have no option. So it's, it was a lot about, uh, my husband was writing a lot, you know, through LinkedIn to funds. <laughs> uh, and at that time, I, uh, on top of that, we didn't know a lot about, you know, fundraising. So, um, and so just contacting, contacting, insisting <laughs> a lot. Um, uh, this is how we got, you know, our, our foot, you know, in, in a first meeting and then it gets better. And then maybe someone recommends it to someone else. Or like, and it's just, you know, how much you're passionate and you, you get to sell your idea, but it, 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 there was no warm introduction at that time to source the mattress. Uh, it's complicated, you know, because, uh, when, when you look for manufacturers, you usually don't really have like a website because it's not, you know, a consumer business. So it's, you, you have, this is why we, we moved to Mexico because we, we knew we had to be physically there to go to the, you know, to the, to the plant, like to the, how do you say, um, to the manufacturer and, and, and see, you know, uh, the production, the facility, etc. Uh, and, and from there, you know, just, it's pitching and pitching <laughs> both supplier and, and, and the fans. And, and for that first, uh, startup, we bootstrapped. So the, the test, let, let's say the testing part, you know, like getting our first mattress, um, our first client, uh, the website. So like, all, all, let's say the MVP was funded by, by us and let's say two months in of starting to sell, then, you know, uh, the first check came in, uh, and, and fast forward now, uh, well, let's say a couple of years ago when uh, we started EMI, it was a very different story. And, and EMI is also a very different business model because we're not developing one product that at the time was like one mattress. But we're developing, like, I mean, if you want to be a supermarket, you cannot offer one product. So we had to start, you know, from the beginning, at least with 50 things. Uh, and so that's, it, it's, it's a, it's a little as a store, but it's a lot when you have to develop, you know, new innovative things, clean label. And so all that development time that took at least six months, you know, you have to build the brand, the store, uh, the products, et cetera. 
so that had to be funded uh, because it, it needed a bigger team, etc. So it's not that we couldn't we could bootstrap uh, a business model like Yema and then you know uh, knock some doors. So because I had that first experience, I was able to access then a network of, of funds, and, and we were lucky that. Uh, we, we were funded, you know, on more like on an idea, you know, and this is the team and this is the idea we want to do and, and give us a first check so that at least we can, you know, launch uh, and we can finance that whole team that's going to build the first pipeline of, of products and, and tech, etc. So very different stories <laughs> on, on, oh, on, yeah. on, on the start. And so out of, uh, you mentioned what Trader Joe's their private label system with Yima, how or what percentage of the products that you guys sell are actually in-house versus other partners? Yeah, so in our in our revenue, more or less, it's like forty uh, percent partner, sixty percent Yima. Let's say, uh, and so it it can vary a little bit, but it's usually around that. And our goal is to be more like hopefully one day eighty percent uh, uh, Yima or to be all Yima. It's just it's a very different. Um, uh, economics when you de- develop your own batch of production, uh, whereas if you can just buy a few units of another brand and test it out and see whether it works. So, it, to to scale, let's say the 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 assortment of SKUs, uh, it's it's much easier to go with other brands. It requires less working cap, uh, and but the the true innovation and, and the value add that we think we can bring to the consumers go more through the products we can develop through our brands, through our brand, Yema. So it's, it's a trade-off uh, as we grow, okay, which product do we first develop as Yema and, and which one we will develop later. And, and there are more um, uh, business models that are doing that a bit in the US also. Like, uh, so Trader Joe's is more like the, the traditional uh, retail, uh, uh, brick and mortar retail uh, that has that. But then, for instance, now you have like a Thrive Market that has that has uh, worked really well. And if you know about them in the US, it's more like, um, let's say, uh, almost like you have to have a membership. So it looks a bit like Costco. Like you buy a membership and then you're supposed to have a good discount on, on products. But they, they also have a strong arm of uh, developing their own products through their Thrive Market brand. So it's, it's, I think it's, it's a business model that's here to kind of uh, stay and grow because there's a lot of value that you can pass to the end consumer. What, what's the next product that, for example, I want you to walk me through how a product, how you consider a product, how you evaluate it, who you partner with, how you partner with somebody, and then how you actually vertically in- integrate that. So Pick a product that, you know, maybe something that you're working on today that you're trying to transition. Yes. So um, as we as we develop products in very different categories, we don't have, you know, the the machine that, that produces. So it's always yeah, a partnership with the manufacturer. We are very involved in the recipe, if it's food, the formula, if it's personal care, etc. Uh, so that's what my team does. And then, you know, all the, the labeling, the branding, uh, which packaging. So usually, you know, we, we, we make, we, we use various suppliers because they do different things, no? Um, between the packaging and the, and the actual product. Um, and so usually we, we, we start by, you know, analyzing uh, different sources of data. So 
of course, there's the more, you know, uh, public available data that we can all access to, you know, like on, on the trends of uh, what people are looking for, uh, what products should, should we develop based on that. And from, I would say like uh, in, in the vegan protein, etc. To, to, to name a few uh, that are trendy right now. And then uh, the, the power of FIEMA is to use the direct-to-consumer model, the fact that we develop the product but we also sell them to get the data from the client or potential clients to know what are they looking for and what we should develop. No? And so that it's more um, according to their needs uh, than just what we see in trend. No? Uh, and so for that second uh, type of uh, data, uh, we, we use both data before we develop. So let's say we can look at uh, searches on our website that what, people are looking for um, then we do a lot of also surveys or you know we invite them to to test a few things um, also like I mean previous to 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 them to launch the actual products so we have a lot of conversations with them on what should we develop next with what features or what type of ingredients etc and so this is usually how it starts <laughs> um, also, we compare to other supermarkets, maybe in which categories were not penetrated enough, etc. And then we, we build a pipe of products that are what we would like to, to produce, uh, to manufacture. Um, and based on, you know, budget, working cap, we go with the prioritization. And, and then we, we start the testing with the manufacturers. Uh, so now we have a good understanding of, you know, who can do what. And of course, we, we, we discover new ones every day. But we were able also to concentrate uh, buyers' products, maybe one manufacturer that have a good capabilities to, I don't know, develop spreads. No? And so we can do a spread with uh, peanut butter with monk fruit. Then we can do a spread of, you know, um, how you say, uh, ch chestnut, I think is, uh, chestnut spread with 78% uh, chestnut that's uh, very different from a very commercial <laughs> brand, um, etc. So we... we now we, we have really like partners with who we know we can develop specific uh, recipes. And then we start the process of, you know, um, starting the clean label recipe. Uh, and then we test it with, the, with our team, with consumers. And if it's, uh, we iterate and then we launch. And so usually we have a much shorter um, time to market. Let's say CPG takes 12 to 18 months. We usually can launch between four to six. Uh, so it's much faster and, and we get also afterwards immediate feedback, no? And so we can still iterate the product if it hasn't been, you know, like a hundred percent successful right at the start. Uh, and, and, and that's the edge that we want to keep, uh, you know, amplifying at, at TMA. Uh, and, and this is our big focus. And this is the value add also that we can bring to the consumer, not just, you know, a good price and relationships, uh, uh quality good price quality relationship, but also um, innovative products based on, on, on things that you like, mm -hmm. as long as they're clean label. <laughs> right. And you were talking about partnering with your manufacturers as, as opposed to directly off the partners. So I, coming from a supply chain background and working in sourcing and predominantly within Mexico, are all, if not most of your suppliers in Mexico and you know, how are you managing your supply chain as far as, especially in a time like this where, you know, there might be working restrictions as far as production capacity. There could be regional shutdowns. There could be their raw material 
issues as far as them being able to procure. So uh, in a time like this, are you dual sourcing certain products? Do you have, you know, let's say if one manufacturer shuts down, do you have the capability to lean on somebody else? Can you go through how your supply chain looks and regionally and then one day as you guys are growing to expand to other regions as well? So to your first question, it's mainly in Mexico. There are very few products that we import that we maybe we didn't find the exact um, product that we wanted here. Let's say we, we bring the uh, pasta from Italia because the the flour was we did, couldn't find a non-alterated flour here, so it changes the taste. So we imported from Italy, for instance. No, uh, but let's say ninety percent of you know food and personal care is is made here. Um, and then, so in terms of supply chain, yes, of course, COVID definitely brought uh, some challenges. Not for all companies, but it's there are different types. No, it's more for some. It's say hey the Mm. this nut come from the US so because it's in dollar and the exchange rate completely devaluated now I have to increment the cost uh, so how do we ref- so as long as it's a small portion of the cost maybe we can reflect or whether we either absorb it or if it's a bigger portion sometimes you have to reflect it a bit in the price um, then there's the high, like you were mentioning capacity so some had to maybe shut down for a few weeks uh, because of COVID regulation. So if it's a packaging manufacturer, maybe it's easier to to go to another uh, packaging manufacturer because it's it's a bit more like a commodity. Uh, For the actual product, it's a bit more difficult to change sometimes because sometimes we only have one that we really like the quality. So if that one (laughs) doesn't work out, I think it's more you know, uh, getting a bit more inventory uh, to be safe. And you, actually, we, we didn't have like a, a real stock out because of, you know, uh, this this kind of, you know, capacity problem. We were able to kind of solve it. And then there are some uh, factories that are working much more than before because they're doing, uh, I don't know, say a personal care factory is doing uh, a lot of you know uh, uh, antibacterial spray and stuff like this, so it's it, it's more it's it's taking into account that the lead time may be longer and just to uh, schedule it a bit earlier, the production. And so you've got that in within Mexico, and then what about your next country? As far as you know, is that on the horizon? Or is that already in the works? Is that something you're already able to do? And let's just say I'm not sure if this is in the works, but Let's say you go to South America or on towards Europe or another market. Do you think that supply chain network will inevitably have to change towards those regions? And if it's a situation like that, how would you plan on completely shifting and finding a, a whole other supplier that will produce the exact same product in another region for that particular local market? So right now, we're not really focused on... Uh, going international, we have been approached by um, uh, like some somebody in, in in Germany and maybe somebody in Central America. So it's more to not take us out of focus here in Mexico, where there is still a lot of room to grow. It's more okay if we can make it work with the product that we have. Maybe just change the label, let's say in German if necessary or something like this. Uh, fine, but it. It shouldn't affect right now the supply chain. Now, if, if if we saw that there's a really big opportunity, there's a lot of revenue coming from there, and it, 
the supply chain here does, doesn't work well anymore, then we would probably uh, evaluate whether to produce it, um, to manufacture it elsewhere as we do for some other products. So, I mean, it's not that I see it as a big barrier. I would definitely consider it. I think it's just right now, as long as this um, international uh, partnerships do not um, manifest themselves, you know, and, and, and show some real revenue, then I, for now, we stay focused on, on Mexico. And throughout your experience with Luna and Yuma, how's the interaction been and relationship been with the government agencies? Because maybe less so with Luna, with the, with the mattresses, but I'm sure with Yuma, you know, this is a consumer product where actually it's a consumable item. Health aspect is going to be there, the labeling and that regulation. So how has that been working with these different agencies to getting those approvals? And is it something that still has significant room to improve or has it been relatively seamless working with them? So for consumer goods, I'd say food and uh, personal care, like as long as it's not, you know, treatment like medicine or something like this, you don't have to get a permit, but you still have to declare it. And so that declaration still have to go through the process of what you're selling, who's your supplier, what's the ingredients, uh, and so in that regard, <laughs> we have been exposed to you know like uh, the agencies as you as you mentioned. Of course, there's a room to improve more you know, in, in 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 the process, and hopefully tech <laughs> will help you know automate uh, more things. And we have a person dedicated to it in the team, like that that sees le- legal slash regulatory affairs and a lot of his job is to look at after you know okay the regulation of the products you know what we can say what not etc um and uh and i think now so that's the first let's say regulation and then of course now as i was mentioning there's this new label regulation so they're gonna be looking at even more you know at the at the labels um and so it's just getting to understand better and so finding the right person at the agency that can answer your your questions etc but uh, it's it's been a bit of a gray area the regulation but hope right now we're we're getting a good understanding and this is why we want to help spread that understanding through to consumers and suppliers because it's not always easy to to get the answers and um and yeah so as a consumer product, not a pharmaceutical one, or as long as you don't have a claim that uh, this product is going to help you digest or is going to help you s- sleep better. And so sometimes we see brands that kind of make these claims, and normally you, you could you couldn't if you don't have you know the the backup of um, of a clinical trial or whatever you know you, you need to back up some claims. Uh, but we are very uh, meticulous in, in respecting what can be said and what not. Um, and so, yeah, that's, that's very important. It, ha- it hasn't been, a, you know, like it, it hasn't slowed us down um, more than what I just said, that you have to go to the agency, you have to present stuff and, and everything. But it's, but it's something that you, we definitely have to, to watch out and, and, and be very conscious about, you know, the new regulations and everything because, yeah, it impacts a lot the labeling, what, 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 what you can say uh, or when you promote your products and everything. And so with your experience going, you know, doing an MBA in the U.S. and then uh, spending your time in multiple different Latin countries, how has it been working within Mexico in terms of the political structure, the, you know, let's say there is 
when you were talking about agencies and things like that, is there corruption element to it where, you know, it's a lot more difficult to get things through, a lot more difficult to get things processed. And I'm asking that because when I was working in various different countries, we would have to indirectly or directly do a few things to be able to get our shipments in, you know, getting it, getting it through customs, getting them expedited. And, you know, those are all realities in, in commerce anywhere in the world. And so uh, have you been exposed to that? Have you come across any situations where, you know, it, it just kind of was an obstacle at that certain period and, and how you guys resolved it? Of course, Mexico has its, uh, <laughs> this type of thing that, that you mentioned. I, I, I would, but first I would say that it's, it's very easy to start a company in, in Mexico. I mean, uh, to incorporate it. Like when we started Luna, there was one Mexican and three foreigners, me, my husband, and another founder. So, it, and we were not Mexican and, 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 and we got to open the, the company and the store. And, and sometimes, of course, if you want to rent a store, you, you need some, you know, uh, uh, warranty that maybe if you're a foreigner, you don't have, etc. But that's, I mean, it's not a big barrier. Um, and I think in, so in general, I don't see a lot of difficulty uh, starting a business. I mean, if you have a, a good idea and, 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 and you put a lot of efforts to make it work, it, it shouldn't be harder in Mexico where there's a lot of opportunities. I mean, where things haven't been uh, as developed maybe in other countries. So this is the other side, you know, uh, the other side of, of the story. It's like maybe it's a land of also more opportunities. Uh, and, and, and the landscape has changed a lot in terms of, um, you know, uh, uh, entrepreneurship ecosystem. Uh, there's, uh, uh, in terms of structure, like the shipping companies, last mile delivery companies, uh, payment companies, et cetera, that kind of are the, that help you uh, uh, sell your products, let's say for a CPG company. Uh, this has improved a lot. So it's even easier to start it now than it was five years ago. Um, uh, and so it's, no, it's, it's super uh, encouraging to, to see that happen. There's a lot of, uh, it, Mexico City is kind of becoming also that hub, like there's a lot of entrepreneurship also go, going around. Um, and of course, may, uh, so depending on what your business is, <laughs> you might come across uh, this type of situation. Um, personally, I haven't been in one that uh, I, I I have to say that oh I I had to pay this guy so that, you know it could this thing could happen and maybe I was lucky uh, but uh, I, I don't have a big example of um, uh, of, of that and uh, I think it's more a culture of uh, you know Latam where you find a way to make it work <laughs> and even if the rule says a hey, maybe you know. <laughs> Uh, you find a way to make it work with the people, and it, it doesn't mean that you always have to pay them, you know. But uh, it's it's more it's <laughs> you have to be a maybe a, a think outside a, a the bigger box, yeah. a bigger open mind, yeah, uh, to see okay how, how how to find a way to make it work. Um, and and I think that's more about the the culture in general here, and then maybe it's uh, compared to Canada or it's a bit more abide by you know what the regulation exactly says. Um, 
<laughs> that I would say a bit the difference. Throughout your last few years, you know, with Luna, with Yuma, and all the people that you might have met throughout that time frame, all the folks that you raised from, how has that peer network been? Because as you mentioned, it was you and your husband, 2015, brand new country, starting this business. Who were you able to look towards then? Who were you able to, you know, were there uh, classmates that you could call up and say, hey, are you guys doing something? Or maybe old professors or right now with Yema, is there a good ecosystem where uh, there's your peer network, you know, a buddy down the street that you can talk to? How's uh, that ecosystem really revolving for founders? Yeah, so th- there's actually a study that Endeavor did. Um, so Endeavor is a well, non-profit organization that's uh, global, but it's very present uh, in the Mexican ecosystem. So by itself, it's already an, an, it's an entrepreneurship ecosystem. But they did a study um, to show that, as in the U.S., we talk a lot about the uh, PayPal mafia, you know, like how it, it kind of started a lot of uh, new entrepreneurs that then went to start other things. In Mexico, they talk about the Lineo mafia, which Lineo is, I don't know if you know, it's like a marketplace um, similar to what an Amazon is at, at a different scale that's present in all Latin America. And so in, let's say in 2000, I don't remember exactly when it started, but let's say 2013 more or less. Uh, and so it, 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 was, it, it was somehow an e-commerce school for a lot of people in Latin America. Um, and so in my case, I didn't work there, but uh, my three other co-founders of Luna worked there and this is how they met. And, uh, and this is how, you know, uh, uh, Luna also started and, and, and each one has also their contacts of other people at Lino that did maybe something else afterwards. And so a lot of companies uh, have come out from Lino. Um, Luna, Urban, Cava. So like, like, I, I would invite you to look at that um, uh, study. It's, 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 very, um, it's very powerful to see how so many people came out from, from that company and then went on to start new things. But then they all, all had that kind of uh, network effect also of knowing each other and either to fund things together or to work better among companies. No? Or to know about talent, you know, when you when you get to recruit, uh, my co-founder, for instance, uh, Angie, who is uh, leading the tech part, is from Lino, for instance. <laughs> and uh, so when we get to you know recruit, she always have you know a pipeline of people either in tech in marketing, uh, you know that she know who to call because it was such a a large group of people really focused on e-commerce. Wow. Yeah, I'll definitely have to check out that report. And what you were just touching on, that was, I was going to ask you about that. As far as the talent pool, how do you, is your entire team situated in Mexico City or especially given, you know, post-March, post-COVID, as you expand throughout Mexico, are you looking for your workforce being completely nationwide? And how do you evaluate and how's that ecosystem, especially when you're looking at you know, let's say food scientists, you're looking at packaging engineers, you're looking at, uh, like you mentioned, the regulatory affairs team. And so when you're trying to scale and grow within Mexico, are you, where's your talent pool coming from and how are you able to grow at such a rapid pace if, if you need to? Yeah, so I, I guess our view on home office that was not very common in, in Mexico, maybe compared to other countries, um, uh, I think changed for a lot of companies, not just startups. 
Um, so now, I guess, as just talking up for Yema, we are much more open for people to be remote. Uh, we have a lot of also foreigners in the company, uh, so it's always easier to kind of uh, let them maybe go back to their uh, country of origin for maybe a better, a greater time than just their holidays and, and getting that flexibility in, but also for people in, in Mexico that maybe come from other cities or just want to work from home. Um, so in that in that um, in, in that regard, uh, we'll probably do yeah, remote and physical work uh, for sure when the new normality arrives. Uh, we still value a lot uh, the physical interactions. Uh, I think also the home office um, has been successful because it also it was based on previous relationship built in the office, and so uh, and 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 not everybody need that, uh, but a lot of uh, employees uh, mentioned that yes, they would like to go at least uh, two days, let's say, at the office to see the others. No, and so um, people are, are asking for more flexibility for sure, and, and we definitely want to give it, but. Hopefully, we would like someone that can still come to the office sometimes to yeah to meet people. But it's not like it's a necessary requirement. It's a, it's we think it's a better way to to build cohesion within the team. Yeah, thank you so much, Lorraine. You know, to be honest, when I do come down in a few weeks, I am pretty excited to check out the store. Uh, yeah, let and, me know. <laughs> like I was saying, mapping out my Airbnb so that I can be close proximity within a bike ride away. And so uh, excited for that. And also all the new products that you guys are going to be launching and growing out your, your current in-house branding as well. Yes. And uh, be careful in Mexico when you bike to the holes in the street. (laughs) (laughs) But it's a, it's a, it's an exciting country. Hopefully whoever is listening, if you have uh, some ideas for Mexico, uh, don't be scared. It's like uh, it's it's the whole ecosystem is 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 growing, and it's uh, it's incredible to to see that happening. That's amazing. Thank you so much. And if someone wants to get you know check out Yema, they're in Mexico or even even abroad, and also Luna, how would they be able to check them out? Yeah, Luna at MX and Yema at MX. Um, please <laughs> check uh, check our page, and and if you and if you come to Mexico. Uh, uh, you'll you'll see that you'll enjoy the products. <laughs> oh yeah, definitely. All right. Thank you so much again. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you so much for listening to the show this week. Please do leave a comment on your thoughts about today's episode and make sure to hit subscribe to get the latest on the Global Ouge. Or if you already have, please share with a friend that you think might enjoy.